You are listening to Positive Living Vibrations with Sarah Troy. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. How do I sound right now? Am I okay? Yes, you're on a landline, right? Yes. Right. Yep, no, you're sounding great. The volume seems to be coming all right. I'm just going to... Oh, that wasn't good. <laughs> Are you talking directly into the computer or into a mic? Into a mic. Okay, good. Just be careful because it picks up any other sound. All right. <coughs> Here we go. <clears throat> good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Positive Living Vibrations with your hosts, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Robert Pascuzzi. We're going to be talking about a book that has made a very, very big impact. And the reason why it's made a big impact is because of its moral story, because it questions us in any form of judgment or assumption that we have, and it asks for forgiveness for sometimes things that you do not think you could ever find forgiveness in. It's based on a true story, but obviously due to the the fact that it was a true story, names and places, and some of the story has been changed to protect those that are left behind. I think every single one of us will see some horrific things happen on the news or hear stories, and our first thing to think to do is to judge, to condemn, to judge, to hang, to noose, to delete. It's a natural reaction when we see such horrific crimes happen. But why do they happen? What makes somebody do these horrific crimes? What is it in their DNA or in their makeup, in their psyche? What has happened to them? Sometimes these people could be friends. They could be people you've grown up with. They could be people you've known all your lives. And then one day they do something completely out of the ordinary, something that you don't recognize at all. And it leads to something horrific like killing someone they love. This book... I read in an afternoon. It's a very, very easy read in the set that has a beautiful flow. The book is called The Ravine, and it's a novel of evil, hope, and the afterlife. But I think, for me, it came very much as an understanding as why reading the signs of people that are in trouble and not band-aiding them or ignoring them, and also finding that place of forgiveness afterwards because if we don't it's only our soul that gets eaten up but let's talk to the author on why this book was written a beautiful book and one that I think really makes us think on many many levels but let's get the why behind the story welcome to the show Robert thank you Sarah I appreciate being on so as I said I read it very easy. I couldn't put it down. Wouldn't talk to anybody. I was in a coffee bar and normally everybody comes and talks to me, but they said I looked so engrossed that they didn't approach me. And I just read it right through. And it's a story in a way that we hear all too often, but it always leaves you with the question of why. And I think the why is the hardest thing. Why does somebody do it? Is there something you could do to to stop it? Um, how can you forgive the action. So how about you give us a little background on this book? 
Sure. Well, as you said, um, you know, we kind of go through our life, and um, we we certainly had a fairly comfortable existence, you know, up to this point, and and uh, definitely did not see the signs. But looking back, you know, now we can kind of trace the uh, you know the events to what what actually happened. But I think um, you know we 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 had you know obviously. A situation that caused us to stop. I mean, it, it was when this happened. It was it really rocked our foundation. My wife and I, we were best friends with uh, Danny and Rachel in the book um, for over 26 years. My wife was best friends with Rachel for uh, since, since sixth grade. So they were really almost like sisters. And um, you know, in the wake of all of this, there was so much devastation and and um, just darkness no answers, you know, no, seemingly no ex- rational, I guess is a good word, rational explanation why Danny had done this. Um, certainly, certainly wasn't the Danny that I knew, mm-hmm. and um, I, I just couldn't get my arms around how he could have done this, and uh, I think it basically, we came to an understanding that there was, there must be a, a greater meaning in all of this, and um, so we, we basically, I, I mean, the way I would describe it is we were led on a spiritual, you know, path of discovery. Um, that I, I think, as you said, I mean, one of the things that came out of it in writing this book, it was a two and a half year, you know, project to get it done. But really, healing there was, there, it was cathartic for us, and there was healing, especially for my wife, and the understanding of that, you know, even in all of this, there is hope. There's hope for the future. There's and it really comes through the power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that we learned, as you said, that you know, when these types of things happen, it was you immediately go to you know how and why, and, and how could God allow something like this, and and uh, just a lot of anger and resentment, I think, and especially for my wife because she you know had lost somebody so close and so important in her life, and uh, you can't ever get that back, you know. And mm-hmm. so I think. For us, we needed to go on this journey, and and I had a stirring about a year and a half. That's why I would describe it as a stirring, a calling to go on this path of putting this book together. And I think it was really the message that was supposed to come out of it. And so, as you said, sorry, you know, this is a fiction book, and that what we're writing about here are things that actually happened in real life. But it's very loosely based on those events. I mean, it, it essentially was a starting place from which we, you know, invented the story to, to really get across the uh, the points and the themes that, you know, we're all going to either be in a storm, and the listener right now could be in one themselves. They, they're, they're coming out of one. There might be something on the horizon, like for us, we had no idea it could be coming like this, but that maybe anybody could pick up this book, read it, and find, again, the hope, the restoration, and then this powerful message of radical forgiveness in, in that I don't want to give away the whole, you know, the mm-hmm. whole uh, punch of the book, but that a character like Danny uh, in this book, someone who had committed such a, you know, a heinous, heinous crime, and just unthinkable, really. I mean, you know, killing your wife and one of your children, and then taking your own life, but could that? Could we offer that individual forgiveness? And could 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 a, a loving universe 
could God, however you want to look at it, could that could forgiveness be offered in that realm as well? So those are some of the questions, as you know, that are posed in this book. Yeah. And the thing is, is, is you know, is, uh, the knee-jerk reaction immediately isn't, and that had he not taken his life, I'm sure others would have taken it for him. Because that's, you know, when we see something done so cruelly and so unjustly, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to revenge, you know, um, how dare you do this? Um, but he took his, his own life because he knew what he did was wrong. Um, but... You know, you didn't see any signs there, did you? That's the thing is that you, I was speaking to a police officer yesterday and we were saying, what, you know, what are the most calls that you get? And he said domestic, you know, domestic violence. And he said that is the most common call they get and it's on the rise. But there was then never any of that kind of fighting between us. No, no, there really wasn't. Um, I mean, you know, we, we knew there were some struggles in the relationship, but not, you know, nothing... And those those are common. Everybody yeah. goes through. I mean, that nobody that else is going thing. through. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, nothing that would have led us to to believe that you know he could have acted in this way. Um, but I think part of it too was there was a, fi- a feeling of you know I think it's very easy just to kind of take things on the surface, face value. You know, every, how's everything going? Oh, it's you know it's fine, but we don't take it to the next step or really try to ask some additional questions. And I think certainly we felt like, you know, I can remember the last time I saw Danny, it was two or three weeks before this happened. And, um, I, I knew something was not right with him. I could sense it, you know, how you just know, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't follow up with him and say, Hey Danny, I, you know, I just, you know, I just want to talk to you. You know, I, I sent something or, you know, want to make sure everything's okay. I didn't do that, you know, and, and so I think it taught me a lesson that, you know, you can't take anything for granted and you just need to always, um, you can't look at things on the surface and you, you've got to ask better questions. And also, also don't, you know, I mean, there is this obviously thing between men, you know, like you were right, but yeah, sure. Uh, and leave it at that. Cause you don't really want to get into any deep things or, or putting it there. You're not necessarily a man's thing. You know, women might more open up more, but it's a hard thing to approach. And I think that sometimes people just feel so alone in themselves that if they feel that even if they told you, you wouldn't believe them, so all you'd think less of them. And if that's something right. in society we've got to stop, you know, is we need to put this, again, assumption and judgment aside and be free to talk to one another openly and clearly without this feeling or sense that uh, you're going to be criticized or judged for what you're about mm-hmm. to say. I mean, if he had some dark feelings going in his mind, the last thing he would want to discuss it with someone. But, you know, that's the time that he needs to discuss it. Right. Well, everything is, you know, that old adage that everything is symptomatic of something. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly there were, you know, there were symptoms that were going on here. And, and, and again... You know, if you looked on the surface, you'd say, well, he did it because of, they were in uh, really financial, you know, turmoil and one step away from declaring bankruptcy. I mean, there were, you know, those were the conclusions that were drawn after in the wake of it all, you know, after people got uh-huh. in there and dug around. But, you know, I think it started way before that. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, you, you start to develop, you know, Hindsight. patterns in your yeah. life. 
because of the way that you think and way that you know and the meaning to your things and you know those those types of issues and I think I really believe that Danny became a prisoner of his own beliefs you know and and I think in some respects we're all in that you know we're all there um, it's our belief systems that control everything and um, he I think early on he had a lot of external conditioning. Um, you know, he, he did a period of time as a youth after, uh, you know, making some bad decisions and committing a crime, him and his brother, and they did some time in jail. But they got out, and obviously, you know, the book chronicles this path of, you know, one brother learning from his mistakes, creating a, an empowering meaning from it, and therefore he started taking better actions in his life and and uh, things have, you know, had really worked out for that brother. But, yeah, Danny, um, you know, the meanings that Danny took away did not empower him, right? Yeah. And that's the one thing we can choose. You know, one of the things I realized from all this is I had to come to the grips that, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose, my wife and I, we're going to choose the meaning of this event. And if, if we just left it, as you said, as the meaning was no hope, darkness, you know, mm-hmm. A terrible tragedy. There, there'll never be anything good that could come from it. That's what we would have ended up with, and this book would have never been spawned. But we we had to make that shift and say, and that that question is, what else could this mean? You know, that's what I had to ask myself. What you know, what else could this mean? And when I asked that question, I started to get different answers. And I think that's one of the things that we have to do as human beings in any situation. We can't. You know, I couldn't. I woke up one day and got this phone call. Nobody, nobody can control these things that go on. There's, you know, crazy things happening every day in the world, right? Yeah. We can't control the events, but we can control the meaning. That's the one thing that we do control as, as individuals, the meaning of any event. And the meaning that we attach to something is going to determine, number one, how we feel about it. And that's then in turn going to determine what we're willing or not willing to do about it. And so you, you, I, I really came to the conclusions, you know, and made those shifts in my own mind that, you know, I have to really stand guard at the door to my mind. That old, you know, stand guard at the door to your mind, and you determine what things mean. Well, it comes from the belief, you know, and uh, I don't think there is a show I do where we don't bring up beliefs. And, you know, people need to understand that whatever beliefs have been instilled in you came from someone else or came from uh, a societal's point of view Um, and you've got to look at what are your beliefs what is relevant to you to your core that's where the soul and the heart and the spirit and the mind have to have um, a unison conversation because you then discover what things mean to you and you base it on that belief of what they mean to you to your core your consciousness so many people are living by the beliefs that have been imposed upon them that don't make any sense, that disconnect them from who they are and their own authenticity. And uh, they're living this as a societal dictation. And this is why we have this assumption and, and judgment and people feeling that they can't talk to someone. That's right. And I think, um, you know, I once read the definition of a belief was a feeling of certainty about what something means to you. Yeah. And, and, in, and, you know, <laughs> if it's been opposed on you, you don't feel certain about it. So, therefore, it's not your belief. <laughs> you're right. I mean, most of our beliefs come through external conditioning. Mm-hmm. 
and what we were taught and what we you know what we saw happening in our world as we were growing up our parents and you know that type of conditioning and so um and i think danny was you know in many ways he was captive to that i mean again it's that old kind of you know cliche we become prisoners of our own yeah at least we put ourselves behind bars in some ways yes. and you know being able to step back on all of this and and actually get to the point where not only could we release the anger and the resentment that we had towards Danny, but being able to even take it a step further, a huge step further, and say, you know what, we want to offer that that person, and we want to offer everybody in our world, we want to offer forgiveness, because that is the key to set you free. Yeah. And that's the blessing, and, and one of the things that we wanted to make sure the reader came away from was that whole, again, that whole idea of, you know, if if you can look at yourself and not just not just the people in your life that you feel maybe have wronged you or that um, you're holding grudge, resentment, hatred, or anger towards, if you can obviously if you can release that negative emotion and offer them forgiveness, and it may not even be that you have to voice it to them, but in your own mind that you release it. But then even taking it maybe even a bigger step forward and saying, what things do I need to forgive myself for? Well, I mean, I have a 94-year-old mother who still does not forgive my father for actions that he took while under his own physical duress. Um, and it's 48 years, and she still holds resentment towards him today. And as I pointed out to it, you had 48 years of your own decision-making to live in your own beliefs, to empower your own life that had nothing to do with him. Uh, he was just your turning point in your life and you got your freedom and the, the, your life was up to up to you. But here she is on her deathbed at 94, still hating and still resenting. And I find that so very sad and so imprisonating. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a sad way to live. I mean, mm-hmm. and um, I think... You know, it's that old, again, I think there's this thought process that everything you do, in some way, you you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think there was a positive, you know, it was serving you in some way. So I think when we get into those scenarios, we're getting, obviously, we're getting something out of it, and we feel like um, we're, you know, in a lot of those scenarios, we're justified, you know, because they did this, this, and this. Now I'm justified to feel this way and to take these actions and yeah. send out this type of negative energy, this toxic, you know, fuel that we put out in the world, and it only hurts us, as you know. Sarah. Yeah. And that yeah. it, it imprisons us more and more and more because we can't become who God wants us to be, and that's a loving, you know, forgiving human being. And so, um, again, I think that what the book is touching on, if you go to Amazon.com and you re- you look at some of the initial reviews on the book, um, there's over 100 now that are on there. I think the number one theme that people are walking away from and the impact that they're getting from the book is this idea of radical forgiveness. And it's causing them, it's challenging them, right? And that's why we say on the back, are you ready? You know, are you ready to explore and question your own views on faith, hope, forgiveness? and perhaps the afterlife, you know, because, again, it's this belief system, and we all have a belief system, what, for most of us, including myself, up until, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, was, you know, 
for example, if you believe in heaven, you know, who gets into heaven and who doesn't? Yeah. Is there some magical formula, and is it a set of codes or laws uh, that were set forth, you know, by another human being or, you know, whatever that might be? And I'm not saying um, that that anybody's right or wrong for looking at or, or believing one set over another. One of the things that I came to the conclusion of, though, is that, first of all, no one really knows, right? Right. We don't know. Uh, a lot of what's set forth in our thought processes and what we believe in, are it's dogma. It's what a religion taught. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and that can get diluted, right, and dampened down from yes. century to century. Absolutely. I came to the conclusion, sorry, that, that God's an all-loving and all-forgiving entity or being and are a source. And, 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 you know, we all have different ways. I call him God, but, you know, however you want to look at it. Yeah. You know, but I don't believe in this idea that today, um, you know, if you do this, then you go here. But if you do that, well, no, now you can't make it in or you've got to go to this uh, secondary place called purgatory until you do something. I just, I don't, I yeah. really have a hard time yeah. with those thought processes anymore. Well, if you if you think about it, um, you know, I very much believe our heaven and hell is right here on earth. It's how we choose to live life. Uh, if we wish to live in, in our heaven, that is living in our, our consciousness of as purity as best as we can. You know, loving each other, caring, forgiving, um, sharing, coming together and being there for one another in a clear consciousness. And, and listening to the source, whatever your God may be, and allowing the source of the universe to guide you. The hell is the people that are entrapped in hate, in fear, in victimization, in greed, in a sense of need of power or ego. And they're living a living hell. So I, I don't think we need to go anywhere. I think we've created hell and heaven right here on earth. And it really comes down as to how we choose to live life. Danny was clearly in his own hell. And he couldn't find his heaven here on earth. And, you know, perhaps he found that peace afterwards. Um, for You know, he asked for that forgiveness. And we hope that he did. You know, we hope that he did. Because what we don't need is, in the afterlife, is taking that hatred or that you know, regret or anything else along with us into another life. We want to clear everything up in this life so that the next life has a chance of just taking the good imprints, the positive, uh, the the possible, rather than anybody else's old garbage from this lifetime. Well, that's really well said. And I, and I, I think of Danny was the prison of himself. I mean, yes. He, you know, he was the prison. Yes. I think that's what you're saying. And yeah, he, well, the hell. He, he was his own living hell because he was trapped in there. Right. And so um, that's, the, you know, I think that's the thought process of, you know, what we wanted to maybe help the, the, the reader if they're not already exploring these types of, of you know, maybe new way, new perspectives and new ways, new thoughts and, to maybe, you know, step back and look at things from a, a different, yeah. you know, different lens. And that, that's a key question that I, I came away from that has really turned my world upside down, and I'm going to go back to it, 
is what else could this mean? Because if you ask that once, it sounds very simple. Yeah. But the, but the you know the answers to that question can be extremely powerful, and they can set you on a whole new path if you'll just ask that question and then and then actually want to know what the answers are. Uh, because, like you said, I I don't think that things you know there's we we're created with free will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I believe, I do believe in God, a God, an all-loving being, but I also don't believe that God wills bad things to happen. Absolutely I mean, you not. Know, I, I think it's simply that, you know, but God will use these types of events for his good, for our good, if we'll trust. And I do believe in any scenario, even, even something as dark as this, there can be a blessing from it. Yeah. But we have, we have to trust, and we have to believe, and we have to be willing uh, you know, to do things that are out of the comfort zone and ask ourselves, you know, hey, what good could come out of this? If there was something good, what could it be? Even okay. if it's just a lesson for other people, you know, that's the whole thing. It's, yeah. it's been, um, you know, th- this book has been an inspiration and in the fact that you found the forgiveness. Um, you know, it is a lesson in don't let it get that way. You know, ask the questions um, speak in whatever way you need to to find what answers help that person get out of their own hell and uh, you know and it's the coming together afterwards is you know it's if we all just simply we're not condoning the action nobody can condone the action um, but we also have to say well maybe we could have prevented some of that action had we taken action and we've got to look at that in our own lives you know, why do people do what they do? Some people, they sit there and they plan it and they're just cold-blooded killers. That is just their genetic makeup and we can't do much about that. And there isn't much redemption within them. Unfortunately, it's the way they're made up. Can we forgive those people? Psychologically, we know that they're a detriment not only to themselves but to society. But with somebody like Danny, who was tormented in himself, who couldn't cope with maybe yet another failure going bankrupt um you know to him it's it was his last resort and of course we know that the sun wasn't meant to be there and i think that he ended up being probably his biggest regret because how can you take a life of your child without the biggest regret well you know you've got something beautifully written here which is um um eliminate shame that clings to you from your past um, your past, hang on a second, I've got it here, past guilt. Let go of the inability to forgive. Find the inner joy and happiness. Discover the glory of your authentic truth. Drop anger and live in gentle peace with others. Embrace true freedom in every moment of your life. If we spent more time choosing these paths, we actually wouldn't have so much time to be regretful or resentful or angry. Well, yes, that's for sure. But, you know, again, I, I think in my own life, I, I look back at some of these situations where I did just the opposite of what you're describing there. And I was, I was getting, you know, in, in some demented, really, I look at it that way now, but in some, you know, selfish or sick kind of way, I was getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't realize it at the time, you know. And again, I think it all comes down to controlling, as you said, the ego. Yeah. And and we're either 
um, you know, the seed of the soul. Gary Zukoff said it very well. There's only really at the if you peel all the layers of the onion back, at the end there's only two emotions we really experience as humans. It's either fear or love, and everything else is just a subset of those two. Yep. And and I think a lot of the things that I used to do um, that were negative or you know they they didn't serve me or serve someone else, they were generated from fear. Mm-hmm. You know, they were and as you said. The fear of not being good enough, fear of not being loved. Um, I think those are our two basic primal fears. And um, and through that, we can make some pretty poor decisions. And I, and I found myself in that area often in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as you said, once you, once you can become aware of those things, the, the first step is awareness to any change. And then the ability to say that, you know, I do want to make a shift and I do want to look at these and examine these things and be honest with myself. Because until you, you can do that, then we're going to live in blame and we're going to live in frustration and fear. And, um, and so, shame. And shame. I think that's a lot of the, those are a lot of the things that Danny dealt with in his life. I don't think he ever got over the fact that he made some very, very poor decisions in his, early in his life. And and the things that he went through uh, early being incarcerated, I know that I tried to talk to him about that on a couple different occasions, and uh, the response was it was you know it was so bad you really don't want to know about it. And I know he held that in inside yeah. for so long, and, and as you said, the shame and the guilt, and this the it probably I'm guessing for him this the the belief that he wasn't you know he wasn't worthy, he wasn't good as a person. And I think over time, when you isolate yourself like he did, mm-hmm. uh, he, because he did, he isolated himself, and he started down this path of the wrong thoughts, and, the, and, you know, and, and then that darkness starts to creep in, and you know, it became a spiral down. And you know, many of us, we hit rock bottom in those scenarios, but we don't, we don't act out in this nature that he did, in this violent nature. Yeah. That he did. We choose other other avenues, but Danny chose. You know, as you said, he he saw that. As hard as it is to believe, he saw that as is the only way out. Yes. Well, you know, you, you kind of got the feeling that he was never enough. You know, like as you said, his brother went on to doing good. You know, doing uh, you know a life of of a certain amount of success, and, and Danny kind of ride rode those coattails. And you always felt that he never found his path. Um, he never found something that was enough for him or that he was enough. And, you know, if only he could drop the anger and live in gentle peace with others, he couldn't have that because he didn't find the peace within himself. So clearly, he, you know, he never dealt with what went on with him in jail. I, you know, had the very strong feeling that he never felt worthy or enough in his own life. And even though he had a love of a of a good woman who just loved him for whom obviously what she saw in him, I don't think he ever saw what she saw in him. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, that's well said in the fact that, you know, you can't give obviously what you don't feel inside. Yeah, it's like if you, if if you're you know if if you're made up of lemon and you're squeezed, you know, lemon's going to come out. Yeah. So in in the you know in the in the moments where we're really tested and we're we're put to a trial, 
that's you know what comes out of us is who what we're really experiencing inside of us. And um, you know, I, we've all had those situations where something came up and it, you know, it, it set us back on our heels, or somebody attack, you know, came at us verbally or emotionally and attacked us, or you know. And I think that's the biggest, you know, how we react in those scenarios really will show a lot of what we're feeling inside or fearing. Or fearing. Yes, you know, because then um, how we react will show: are we on the fearful side or are we on the retaliative side? And um, and but you know it's the the interesting thing when you look at people who have done what Danny did and they look back at the, the you know the hours before the planning um, and it it's almost like they go like on an out of body experience and you know there's always that where well, you know they they plan this the cold hearted killer I think once they enter that phase of the planning. It's almost like an outer body experience for them. I think they've abstained from being who they are, and have stepped into the zone of what they're going to do. And I think it's, I think it's a completely disconnect from who they really are, because you can see somebody who really is kind of quite emotional, that keeps it all inside. But to be so calculating, they had to step away from that emotion to do what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I totally agree. You know, and if you look in the book, um, you know, we, we created a character that basically confirmed that, mm-hmm. uh, the character who was, you know, in the, in the garage that night and right with, you know, during the night when the murders were occurred. And that was, you know, his comment was that this wasn't, this wasn't the same old Danny. Right. You know, in other words, what he was witnessing that night, he, he was not, and that's how he described it in the book. It wasn't Danny. Yeah. Um, you know, when Danny came out into the garage the first couple times, quote, same old Danny, right? And then um, the last time, it wasn't Danny. And so I think that's we, the in the way we described it was the you know the darkness had engulfed yeah. him and had taken over, and and what looked like light was actually darkness, and he was he just couldn't see it anymore. And the thing is, people don't realize that when you're in that darkness, and I've been there, you know, suffer from depression, so I know what that darkness is like. It's actually very calm in there. People think darkness is full of turmoil. The anger, the um, not feeling worthy, the uh, conflictingness, that's, you know, really where the, the, um, the fire is, and it's constantly burning you. But when you go into that absolute darkness, it's actually quite a lot of stillness. And you can see things totally in clarity but without any consciousness or emotion and I think for somebody who is in such emotional turmoil that darkness gave him a sense of peace of clarity that well his problem was his wife mm-hmm. right there wasn't any emotion attached to it anymore any turmoil attached to it anymore it was just a cool a cold calculating this is what it is this is what I'm going to do and they step into that zone because there's there is no connection anymore. It is now just an act, a resolve in their mind. I don't think there's any other way it could have happened. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Danny, that I knew. I mean, I knew Danny as as hard as this might seem, but you know, to a reader who would who would start to read this book, but is a very caring and loving individual. Um, and I saw that played out with how he treated 
you know, his kids and, you know, how he interacted with friends and, and even, you know, even family, of course. And so I think you're right. I mean, you know, it, 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 at some deep level, there was a, there was a point where the, the darkness had so engulfed Danny that there was no turning back. Yeah. And, and as you said, and I think as we, you know, tried to illustrate in the book that what he thought was light was, was the dark, yeah. the darkness. Yeah. But well, when you, and that comes down back to the soul and the heart. Um, and the spirit when you lose that divine connection whatever your connection is with whatever God when you lose that divine connection you're not united with the source of the universe anymore it's not speaking to you guiding you giving you that conscious compass when you've lost that and you switch that off then you're just in a void and all you're into is some form of rational thinking that actually is incredibly irrational when you bring the consciousness into it, but without consciousness is just a, a solution to your problem and cold and calculating. You know, so having that dialogue always with your source and when you do get in turmoil or you do find yourself at, at, a, at an end of your wits is to speaking to whatever your, your source, your God is and ask for that guidance. Ask for that that resolve that doesn't, mean in such an extreme manner and you know also then being aware that that somebody that you're sitting next to on a park bench is your answer because the answer just doesn't come to you in a parcel sent by you know god ups it comes to you in a form of somebody you're going to trip over that has the answer for you and you've just got to be still enough and pay attention to the signs and that answer will come in a very obscure way but it will be the answer that you're seeking yes we found a lot of that that you just described, Sarah, in the writing of this book, because we <clears throat> we met we met so many roadblocks and setbacks in trying to get this book written. But <clears throat> excuse me, um, when we when we would it, it, invariably, I found myself. It just seemed like every time where I felt like, you know, I don't know how we're gonna, I don't know where we go from here. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what the next step is or, or what the book, you know, what this next chapter should be or how do we end the book and what's that overall message. And and when I stepped back away from it and just, as you said, let it go and turned it over and just stopped trying to drive it. Yes. You know, the Robert in me, the A, yep. <laughs> the a driver yep. in me that is, is Robert um, in real life. But when I would, and believe me, I, I bang my head on the wall a lot of times before I would get to that point. And, um, and so, but when I would do that, you know, invariably the next, the next gift, the next miracle would show up. Yeah. And, and it always does. It always does. It's, it's that, you know, we, uh, we're not meant to be devoid of God. You know, we are, we are part of the source. That is, you know, that energy is constantly going back and forth. It's what, gives us all the information we need and and also shows us what our purpose is here and when we sever that that's when we get lost and clearly in in Danny's way he he got lost and as you said you know he was a very loving person um Rachel would not have married him had he not been because she was somebody who you know needed love and gave love and would have seen that lovingness in him she believed in him more than perhaps he believed in himself. 
Um, so that it was clearly there. But as you said, maybe the financial hard times, or the, the not feeling worthiness, we will never know exactly because he never opened up that dialogue to really articulate what was going on inside of him. But it's probably accumulation as of everything in his life. Correct. So now let's get to your wife. Um, you know, this was her best friend, her sister. And, you know, I often see a chosen sister is actually a deeper sister. Um you know, somebody that she grew up with and they, they didn't go a day without talking. And, you know, here she is. She's gone in such a brutal way along with one of her sons by her husband's hand. And, you know, you can understand the horrors and the, you know, the mind-blowingness that would have gone through her head, both of you, but especially her. Um, and the whole then months and months of depression listening to her voice last time, trying to come to terms with it. You know, the the bag of emotions that somebody goes through when something like this happens. There isn't any um, set time for grieving. There isn't any one solution fits all. It's a process that each individual goes through. But one has to be very careful that they don't slip into their own darkness and get consumed by it because then it can destroy their lives as well. And I know your wife almost went that way until you found that balance. Um, would you like to speak a little more to to your wife's reaction for all of this? Well, I think, you know, you described it fairly accurately in that there was a, you know, a, a struggle with her, I think, emotionally and and there was some, you know, depression there just because of she wasn't able to pull herself out of that, you know, process of, of just focusing on the negative that came out of this and, and the loss and the pain and the hurt. And then, of course, she was still dealing with all the, the negative emotions she was directing towards Danny. And it was a process, you know, and, and um, I just think that, as you said, it's easy to go. That it would have been really easy for her just to, continue to go that way and in the book uh mitch uh who was my character you know we portrayed how mitch you know could have went started to go down that path too because he became resentful towards rachel his wife mm-hmm. for not being able to pull herself up by the bootstraps after you know a point in time that mitch deemed was reasonable for someone okay at this point well let's you know okay you know it's been you know, five months or whatever. Let, let's uh, let's get you know, let's get on with it, right? I mean, at some point, you, you just got to look, you know, forward and not backwards. And and Mitch couldn't understand why that was still a struggle for Rachel. Yeah. So yeah. Mitch starts to make other, you know, as a result, Mitch feels like he's justified, and and now he's being wronged, correct? Right. Uh-huh. Now his wife's not paying attention to him, giving him, you know, the things that he needs in the relationship, and now Mitch starts to make some poor decisions, right? And that's how it starts, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's that type of a, you know, insidious thing that grows over time. It's never, you know, uh, like you said, just some big bombs drop one day. It's it's pieces of the brick that are laid each day. And before you know it, right, we've got the wall built, and now, you know, and now we're on the other side. So you hit it on the head, and I think, you know, for my wife, it, it's that relationship that she has with God that that she just leaned on and she relied on, and, and eventually, 
she was able, and again, I think this book was, was a key process for her to begin to understand that there is a different meaning here, and we are going to make, start to make that shift. It was a conscious decision to, to, to tell herself that she needed to do it in every day. It was a struggle, and it still is a struggle to some point. You know, there will be things that obviously trigger um, the emotions around this from here. They're, they're, they're farther apart today, obviously, but right. I mean, it's still there, so... Well, I mean, I've I've known quite a, a number of um, women who have lost their children, um, and it's mostly sons, funny enough, and in various ways, um, some senseless, some just went to sleep, never woke up, and I've seen what it's done to the families, and you've seen some that look at it and say, you know, my son was so full of life that I want to honor his life by living mine. And bringing him with me on my journey. And going and starting something completely new. As in partnership with their son. And an adventure. Something he would love to do. And uh, in it's what's. The, the heartache is there every day. The loss of the son is there every day. But they chose to honor that life. By living a, their lives. You know their own lives. Then I know the others where. And the loss of a child has been so great that literally it's ended up being divorced, um, them being with cancer, and the other children in the family um, feeling as if they will never be enough to match their dead brother, and that nobody can bring their brother back, and they and they will never be as good as their brother. So therefore, they're not loved either, and it's you know completely crippling and I know I think it will be for each to their own but I think what we have to understand in sorrow is if you really want to honor the person that has gone you need to honor it in life not in a living death and it's a hard thing to do but it's something that you have to do you've chosen for Rachel and her son to can to live on in honor and in purpose, through this book of showing people, A, pay attention, ask the questions when you see somebody in trouble, don't brush it under the rug, don't assume, uh, do whatever you need to do to bring it out of them, because you never know when their dark day is going to come or what they're going to do. Um, you know, most times it's just men just get up and leave their wives and you know, and leave them in the lurch or leave them destitute, but leave them. Don't do this horrible, catastrophic thing. But it's also that big thing of forgiveness. And you can't forgive the actions of others until you forgive the actions of yourself or the inactions of yourself. And so out of this tragedy, your wife can put a great deal of comfort into the fact that this is going out there to people to understand you know, don't judge because he was at his, he was at the end of his tether. This is all he knew to do. He couldn't see a way out. He wasn't his rational self. And, and for, for her is to keep Rachel and the son's life alive by honoring them in that forgiveness and in that awareness that helps other people heal that may be going through this or prevents other things from happening before it gets to that extreme. So it's a very good job that you're doing here, and I'm very happy that you did take this path, even though it's a difficult path for you to take. Um, not only a healing one, but a healing one for so many other people as well. Well, I appreciate your words, Sarah, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it, I, mean I, I know that for my wife, 
as you said, it was it was to honor the people that she loved, and so they would not be forgotten. And I think this book will ensure that that they're never forgotten. No. And at the same time, uh, as you pointed out, our hope was simply when we started this project, if this book could just simply help one other family or prevent one other family to not have to go through what this family has gone through, it would all be worth it. So to see, you know, that it is having an impact has been very gratifying. And I know you wanted to to have me mention about yeah our our prison initiative. Yeah, the timeforforgiveness.org. I think this is this is lovely. So please do tell people about that. Right. Well, the uh, the ravine, the book made it into uh, San Quentin prison and i started thinking about because uh you know we, we began to get some feedback that you know the story was really having an impact on offenders and i i had had a dream uh, long before the book was ever done that was a really powerful dream i remember waking up that morning telling my wife that i had a dream that night and i was speaking in the side of, of a prison and it was had to do something do something uh, with this story the book and I but I didn't know obviously then what it meant and uh, but it was a seed that had been planted well then when this came up about San Quentin it, it made me think that okay here we go there's no coincidences I don't believe in a coincidence um, and I just I felt like okay um, maybe I should reach out to some other you know uh, prisons and you know whatever so I've done that and just, you know, now it's kind of perpetuating itself, and we're getting, we've got books that are going into, um, I think we're up to like 14 different penitentiaries or prisons around the country. We've also started on this initiative, it's called A Million Ways for Forgiveness. And our goal with the initiative is to place a million copies of the ravine uh, into incarcerated men and women around the country by the end of 2015. And we're gifting the books. So these are not, you know, I've gifted <clears throat> hundreds of books myself, and so this is not to get the books into the hands of people that need them the most, and it's delivering, to the, you know, to this powerful message, to this radical message of forgiveness, and, and and so they can go to the site, which is timeforforgiveness.com. Now the book site also has a link, Sarah. Yes. The book site is theravinebooks.com, theravinebook.com. And on the site, on the homepage, you'll see a link that'll say, you know, you click on for more information about this prison initiative. And if somebody would like to partner with us or an organization, they can gift one or more books at $4, which is our cost, simply our cost to print it and ship it. So again, no profit. Now, here's a neat thing that's coming out of this. We have a, a prison that it had, has had such an, a, a uh, just incredible response to the book, and they've ordered hundreds of copies. This is a fairly large uh, penitentiary. And now that they're having their, uh, their offenders, if the book has touched them in any way, they're asking for them to write a letter about how it's impacted mm, them. Nice. They're going to send those letters back to me. We will be posting those on this website, The Time for Forgiveness. Uh, website, so I'm pretty juiced about that. I just, I just want to see the book help people, and and you know, uh, if it can if it can make an impact for these people and give them, you know, as as they tell me all the time down there, the number one thing 
that that offenders struggle with is the concept of being able to forgive themselves. Which is kind of what started everything in the first place. I mean, you know, although we've talked about a tragedy in this book, yeah, you know, it's it is a book of thought. Um, you know, you put it down, and I have been thinking about it. I've been speaking about it. I've referred to it um, in you know when speaking with people that not only you know the story, but you know, for me, obviously, the the things that I keep harping on, of course, is the signs is recognizing, you know, the, we, we've got to stop feeling so trapped in ourselves uh, or feeling any form of shame or unworthiness to speak our distress, to speak our discontent. And we've also got to invite people to speak it without judgment, without any assumption, um, without any shame, so that people don't get to this boiling point where they feel there is no other return. You know, that they... I'm sure that a lot of people that are in the penitentiary system wouldn't be there if somebody had heard them, if somebody had spoken to them, if somebody had cared enough to know what's going on inside them and help them unravel and take a different path. So that's a huge message in the book. And the one, again, of forgiveness. I can tell you that living in resentment, in regret, in bitterness destroys. It destroys you first. And you cannot function and you cannot serve anyone else around you until you forgive. And that forgiveness will bring back that divine love, the love of life and the honor of life. Um, Because you have forgiven. Again, it's not contoning the action, but it's forgiving it. Because if you don't, you then become the prisoner. Oh, sure. I mean, exactly. Danny had his own sentence, right? I mean, after mm-hmm. he did this and he came to his senses, he took his own life because he just couldn't even go forward with what he had done. And so we're not, you know, as you said, and even the people that are incarcerated, they're they're serving their, they committed, you know, a wrong and they're they're being, you know, they're being punished for it and they're serving their just their their due justice. But and and we're not saying that. Also, we're not saying that we're that Robert is offering them forgiveness. I'm just simply offering them a means through yes. the reading of this story to connect to get divinely. To the point where yes, they, right, they can offer themselves for forgiveness, and that's the whole key there. And that's yeah. what we, as as you know, the world needs to do. And again, it's got nothing to do with religion or what faith you are. Um, no. And it, you know, it isn't. You know, I found God, so therefore I'm I am free. No, it is connecting to your own consciousness and divine's consciousness and together finding that way of understanding why you've done what you've done Um, because when you understand the why therefore you can learn to let go and find that forgiveness Um, and of course seeking that forgiveness from the people you've done wrong because you both need that peace uh, you know, unfortunately, Danny, I mean, he took his own life. Had he lived, at some point, he would have had to ask forgiveness from all of you, um, you know, for what he had done. And, you know, I think that's something that should be encouraged more between people that are incarcerated and the victims. Right. Well, I don't know, and I, I have no idea where this is going to lead. I, I feel compelled to, uh, you know, to, to put these, books and make them available and and i and i i have this every time they ask what is in it for you know what's in it for you and why are you doing this and i say that you know there is no ulterior motive here i'm I'm just trying to provide again i'm just trying to give 
the book because of the message in the book. I want to offer it to the people that need it the most. And, uh, and, and again, I'm not saying they need it more than anybody, you know, because, again, I believe that we're, we're in some respects we're all prisoners because of, again, because of these belief systems we've yeah. developed. But at the same time, you know, those folks, in, if, in if, if we can, you know, find it in our heart to forgive someone that's wronged us, whether it be someone who's, you know, incarcerated or somebody who's not incarcerated, it doesn't matter. It's everybody needs to get that message, and I and I believe that is the power of the ravine, and it's available to all that want to read it. We've created a study guide as well, Sarah, as you know. Yes. The study guide is available online at theravinebook.com. You can download it. There's no cost for that. Again, we're just we're, we want to provide that. It's a chapter by chapter study guide. I'm getting great feedback that a lot of groups, you know. Um, study groups, whatnot, uh, men's, women's study, they're all using it, and it's, it's impacting them because it helps them take away, step back from the message of the book, and apply it to their own lives. Yeah, I've, I think, you know, as I said, I've spoken to people about this because it's provoked the conversation, and, um, you know, and I think this is something that, you know, read the book, get other people to read it, you know, in your book club. Um, and just look at it from the perspective as how does it relate to your own lives? Is this something that you're avoiding, that you're not speaking about, that's fermenting in you? No, it doesn't mean you're going to go out and kill anybody, but it does mean that you're not going to live your life honestly and truly. Um, and that use this as a door opener to understanding, you know, where are you letting your own darkness in? Is there somebody that you need to forgive for a past belief? You know, are the beliefs that you need to get rid of because they're affecting your future? I mean, there's so many ways that this can open up a dialogue. So start a book club. Read the book. Hold the dialogue. Sure. Absolutely. And the book um, right now is available online at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or on our website, TheRevineBook.com. as well as we're, we're right, some exciting things are going on. We're close to signing this week. I believe we'll have uh, have the deal done. Uh, a contract with a, a major distributing company that will put the book, you know, across the country into bookstores and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of good things that are going on uh, with the book, and I just want to thank you for having me on today. Oh, my, my pleasure. Today. And as I said, it's, it's easy to read. I mean, I just, you know, sat at the coffee house for three hours and just read it. Couldn't believe that, you know, because it's, there's such a fluidity to it. So it's, um, even though it's a painful subject, you know, the way it's been written, you can see it's been written with love, without that judgment, just with what is, and, and then what we can take out of it. So it's an easy book to read, even though it's on a painful subject. And it's what you're going to learn out of it that is really the key here what are you going to take from it that you can apply to your own life um and also you know, maybe help somebody you know that is is suffering inside um you know don't don't judge or assume them don't dictate to them but invite them to open up inspire them to open up so they feel safe enough to do so before they go and do something that everybody will regret well, I thank you so much for Robert for being on the air and, and to you and your wife for writing this book. I know that it must have been painful, but as you said, cathartic. Um, you know, now you know it's out there, it's doing good. It's helping other people question things before they let things become the question on the after fact. So thank you so much. 
Well, thank you, Sarah, and it was an honor to be on your show, and um, I, uh, I just look forward to continuing uh, of the ravine. And if there, if any of the listeners out there have any questions, there's a there is a spot on our website around the the homepage where they can click and um, they can send me an email. I'd be glad to field any questions that that come out of our talk. Excellent. Well, I predict that this will be either a TV show or a movie, and which will then reach even more people. So, um, blessings to you and your wife, and may the healing continue, and may the prevention be there for any future um, episodes, and also may the love and forgiveness be with everyone. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. God's blessings on you as well. I really appreciate you having me on today. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So till next time, folks, remember the key to everything is being kind to yourself because when you are, you live in that peace and harmony. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to PLV Radio. We hope that our programming has inspired you. Please feel free to visit the website to find past shows and schedules. Find your favorite hosts, leave comments about your experience, and share ideas for future shows. Don't forget to visit us on your favorite social media websites, which you will find links to at plv-radio.com. Listen with your friends and share the inspiration.